All right. Right, we're ready. Let's do this. <laughs> All right, so hello, everyone. This is Mark Feely. I consider him a friend of mine, and I'm very, very humbled and happy to be here having this conversation today. Um, so welcome and thank you. Um, if you'd love to just introduce yourself and just tell everyone at home about you we'd love to hear that so thank you this is this is amazing I, to me that this is gets to the essence of all of the teachings yeah, this, this rich conversation that we have so um who am i <laughs> i'm not really sure these days to be honest with you um so my my background is kind of in two halves i spent the first 20 odd years of my life uh in a corporate job building centers for a living uh, which was holly reporting building shopping centers for a living but in other ways I feel emotionally bankrupt, to be honest. And then the second half of my life has been in the study, investigation, the calling of this deeper understanding of, of who am I, Yeah, this deeper understanding of consciousness, awareness. I've followed the path of, of yoga as kind of the mainstream into that, but looked at different uh, alternative um, practices as well. So... That's been my yoga now has been my full time occupation for probably fifteen years, sixteen years now. So teaching, sharing, learning, trying to understand some of these deeper questions of life. Right? What are we like? Literally, like, what are we here for? What's the purpose of all of this? Who am I? Right? And that might sound like a quite a philosophical and esoterical uh, way to live your life. But for me, I felt deeply called into that. So. Um, that's how I live these days. Yeah. You know, I live a very simple, pretty quiet life. I'm a bit of a recluse. I live on a, luckily enough now, I live on a beautiful part of the world called Kangaroo Island. For those who don't know it, it's, um, just a little island off the, the coast of South Australia and an extraordinary, beautiful place. So I spend my days here, you know, contemplating my navel and, and living a, a simple life and the treats and trainings, et cetera, with beautiful people like yourself. You know, we get to share the love and, and learn from each other. So, um, so thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled and honoured to uh, to be here, and I really, really appreciate the, the invitation. Well, thank you, and thank you for being here. It's it's not often that you meet people that are so generous with their time and their words, and are willing to actually, I think, have these conversations publicly. I think there's there's maybe a little bit of fear and a bit of resistance from a lot of people where you bring a conversation or a topic up that is a little bit less superficial and makes people go a little deeper and it can be a little bit triggering, I think, and sometimes people find that there's an immediate with like resistance to going deeper. Um, and so I actually really appreciate that we can do this because I hope that it reaches more people and if nothing else, you don't have to agree with a word we say, but... I think that there's a there's a space for contemplation, as you might say, and that in itself is, I think, a benefit to everybody to have that go. Wow, what is that? What what is that in me? So yeah. I appreciate yeah. you being willing to come on and actually have that discussion in public. Um, you know, I, I get I found myself battling my own fear this morning with, what if people are mean? What if someone says something really mean or something like that? Because the internet is just so vast and you don't know who's watching and who's got their own baggage. So that was, that was something I was contending with this morning, which was interesting. But circling back, Mark, I wanted to go back to, you said you started in corporate and I know we've chatted and I've heard you talk about it, but others haven't. 
So when you were in corporate, were you also practicing yoga at the same time? In the, in the latter part of it, yeah. I mean, I started the yoga journey as a result of an injury, um, surfing injury. And, uh, someone said to me, go and try some yoga. Maybe that will help, right? So that was kind of my first foray into it. But I'd always had, even from a little bit, that there was, there was something richer, something deeper to this life. I didn't know what it was. I had no idea even where to look for it. It's just always, just as far back as my memory will allow me to go, is <laughs> a fair way now. <laughs> um, I've always had this, this, this urge to explore and understand life in a much richer dimension than just the day to day living. Right? And nothing wrong with day to day living, but to, to explore that. And then in my pursuit of the, you know, social dream, I let go of all that. Yeah. So I studied hard, like we all do, studied hard, went to uni, got my degree, you know, kept next step corporate. Loved it. I don't get me wrong. I, I've had an extraordinary job. I'm very fortunate and worked with some beautiful people who just taught me so much and trusted me so much. Um, and we, we were able to build shopping centers, like build places for people, right? And not just about the shops, but how do we create places that enrich people's lives, right? So I had a pretty good job, right? And I was paid well and, and et cetera, et cetera. And that went on for two decades. And, and I was lucky enough to, you know, climb up the, the so-called corporate ladder. <laughs> and each rung that I went up, I went, okay, will this make me happy? Will that feel that part of me which feels empty? And the answer was inherently no. So I mean, it must be if I work harder, maybe not if I buy another house, if I, if I, if I, if I, right? So, and then whilst that's running parallel, um, I had that little injury, nothing serious, but, you know, shoulder injury and ended up going off to, to yoga. And I first started in, in Bikram yoga in, in Surrey Hills in Sydney. Right? That was my first foray into yoga. And I got to tell you, the moment I stepped through that door, and this is not unique, this happens to a lot of people, there was an aha. I didn't know what the aha was, what it meant, right? And my understanding of yoga at that point was it was some, you know, good physical exercise. Yeah, and still is. That's that's a big part of it. Uh, it's an amazing physical structure. But uh, this vortex so much, right? And then I studied it. I uh, thought I'd want to learn some more, not necessarily to teach because I'm still working corporate at that stage. Um, so I went and studied it um, in, in both in India and, and in Australia and traveled a bit through India to try and understand the roots of it as best as you can, you know, culturally with, India, I'm like, <laughs> my goodness, what, what an extraordinary part of the world that is. And so it grew and grew and grew until it became such a passion for me that I, the two things then collided. I had this corporate life that was, from an outside perspective, was enormously rewarding and enormously successful. You know, you tick a lot of boxes there, but my heart was still empty. You know, there's a part of me that just filled that part so richly that it just called me. So those two things collided. And it, I got to a point where I went, can I actually make a living? Can I pay my mortgage and put food on the table through doing what I love? Yeah. So I followed my heart and I resigned. Um, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the guys I worked with went, mate, you got, you got rocks in your head, right? And, gone. <laughs> and so I then pursued a full time life uh, of yoga. Uh, I opened a studio with the Australian Yoga Academy, ended up opening two. That studio, uh, the first studio ended up becoming Westside Yoga in Seddon. And that was a big part of my life, you know, falling. So my bank account, <laughs> you know, went like this, but my heart went like this. And suddenly that was the piece of the jigsaw that had been missing that suddenly just slotted into place, which 
set off a whole series of events of going deeper. I went, okay, if, if, if this practice of yoga can provide a platform of this real inner sense of wellness, yeah, my body was flexible and strong, not so much these days, but you know, flexible and strong. I'm doing all the breathing techniques and the, mm, doing all this, you know, the meditation. I loved it, but it was it, yeah, that, that deeper dimension of who am I, which is the essence of yoga and essence of all the great traditions, but that's what really called me. So as I progressed through, you know, I went deeper and deeper and deeper into that point until eventually, uh, COVID hit. Uh, in Victoria, and you know, I won't go over that story. Everyone's very well familiar with that. We, <laughs> we don't need that trauma we, today, Mark. <laughs> yeah, that's for another day. But we we closed, and eventually it all got too hard, and and I, I walked away from the studio. And I'm lucky enough that uh, some beautiful couple, Jay Marler and Vickers, were kind enough to take over the custodianship of that extraordinary beings, and uh, that allowed me to step back completely and spend the next you know twelve. I went up and lived in northern New South Wales, inland of Byron Bay. And spent my life in contemplation um, of these deeper teachings of yoga, and um, had no intention of coming back. To be honest with you, <laughs> I thought that's it, I'm done. Um, but the things that landed, revealed themselves, I was able to experience, was have been so rich and so profound and so life changing that I felt this deep calling to come back and share it with whomever wants to listen to it. Maybe no one, maybe someone, I don't know. But it's been profound, um, and I feel like I, I've just stepped into an, another part of the unfold. I, you know, it's one tiny step, and yet it's so profound, even though it's a tiny step. Yeah, and it's a place that I wish to spend the rest of my days, whatever they are, um, exploring that even further. That sounds like quite a life. <laughs> sure, it's the dream, right? But you're right. I, like what I'm hearing from your story, and it's not the first time I've heard it, but what I hear when you tell that story is that you were looking for something more anyway, and yeah. there was there was no fulfillment on a spiritual level following the physical world's ideal life, and and that's I think that's something that I myself. Have yeah. contended with as well, and it, it's an interesting place to be. It's not a comfortable place sometimes, but I, I think discomfort also challenges us to move like outside of the like. You can't grow inside your comfort box, basically. Yeah. And so, what I wanted to circle to now is you've had this deep experience with yoga. Like you've gone far beyond what most people would even know about yoga. Like a lot of, I don't think people, when I started thinking about it, there's a lot that I didn't know. And, you know, I, I teach yoga. So, and I'm like, I should have probably known that. <laughs> um, and so where I was coming from firstly is maybe give us like a little bit of a, like a brief history. I know it's quite deep and there's a lot in it, but maybe a history of yoga, its origins and where it started, why it started, and then how it's changed the times. <laughs> that's You've got quite five a minutes, Mark. <laughs> that's uh, that's, that's 7,000-plus 7, years of, of history condensed in. I'll start by, by saying this. Anything that I share, anything that I uh, say – is through this lens, yeah? That doesn't make it right for anyone else, and I'm not here to convince anyone of it passionately, fall over, shine, whatever. Whatever cause you, go with your heart, yeah? So, and don't believe a word I say. Go and test it for yourself, right? Go and test it for yourself. But yoga, let me put that in context. Here is 
a middle-aged Australian man living on Kangaroo Island trying to articulate a 7,000-plus year uh, tradition uh, that's so interwoven into the cultural grain of, uh, of a particular group of people. So we've got to put yoga and its origins in context. Became, uh, Patanjali started to document what had been taught for many years. Um, the, the spiritual practice was ingrained within the culture. Yeah? So in our culture, not all, maybe not people who are listening to this program with you, but a, a lot of, a lot of Western culture is somewhat devoid of a spiritual journey of exploration. Yeah. Whereas at the time where yoga blossomed and it was written and articulated in the Yoga Sutras and other great texts, that was a time of great spirituality. So spirituality was ingrained within the culture. Then this was a really rich and deep way of living. It didn't come from a book to say to people, this is how you should live. It was an encapsulation or an articulation of way people were already living and trying to capture it in a, in a form. So if you go... In my opinion, if you go to the essence of yoga, the very word, and we've all heard this if you've ever been to a yoga class, that the simple, clumsy English interpretation is to yoke, is to join. Yeah? Join with what? Join with what? Ultimately, if where my journey has taken me is to what would be considered through the eight limbs of yoga, which a lot of people may have heard, the more traditional way of experiencing yoga, and there are not a monoculture, and I say that too, <laughs> there are diverse forms of yoga throughout the world. Yeah, we know, you know small But if you go to Samadhi, as I understand, this is union with the divine. Yeah. In whatever you might want to call that, yeah, God, nature, the universe, intuition, Jesus, Buddha, you know, whatever name you wish. But at its heart, it was doing its best to document a pathway into union with the divine. Yeah. And in other ways, you could flip that back around, because in this in this culture, it's not an external force. You know? The divine is not. You know, I was raised a Roman Catholic, so I have permission to talk about it. Um, it's not an external god sitting up in the cloud somewhere, right? This concept of the union with the divine is a union with self. You know? That the the that everything which is divine is around us, in us, through us before we existed, after we existed, timeless, everything. You know? And when those things, when this human form re-remembers that connection with the divine, and let's call it your heart wisdom, the connection with self, the true understanding of who you are, boom, that's it. Uh -huh. The searching falls away. The desire for things to be different falls away. And there is this deep inner sense of calm and peace that only comes from a deep sense of understanding who you are and who you are not <laughs> and how everything, everything is connected. So that's a short... In the West, we understand it initially as physical postures. It's That's one small component of it. It might be meditation or it might be pranayama, breath work, yeah. Um, but there's a really rich tradition of self. Yeah. And who are we? What's this? What's life all about? And what, what are we doing here? And is it possible to live a life of full contentment? To be completely at peace with exactly the way things are? Is that possible? And yoga would say yes. And many great traditions would say yes. And not only say yes, they'd say, hallelujah. Like, yes. 
yes, it's possible. And the other thing that I would say is it's not the exclusive realm of monks and nuns and realized beings, and God bless them for the dedication they have to their own journey, but it's accessible to the, to everyone. Regardless of religion, race, sex, history, trauma, is available to all of us. Why? Because it's in us. We can't. We actually can't separate. We tried in the West to separate ourselves from it, the mind and the heart, but it's inherently in all of us. It's in plants, animals, trees, the ocean. We can't separate ourselves. We are part of everything. We're everything. That's really interesting because I think from like from what I've read, and this is like so hearing that I I love hearing that because it's like that seems in my spirit to be that is that is truth. That is truth, and that is something that we've been disconnected from. In that you know you you don't need nature. You need things, and you need people to care what you think. And your opinion is the most important thing in the world. And so we start to identify with the ego. But my question, I suppose, I'm wondering is like, I think there's also been kind of like, so with yoga, there's this connotation that it's it's rooted in Eastern religions. And from, from what I understand is that that may come from like practices, it being incorporated into say Buddhist practice and things like that. So like that, and that's where that religion comes from and like what you said i think i'm getting it is that it was already cultural before it was considered religious and that's what i'm trying so is that is that accurate is that sort of the truth of it it's it's actually more about a practice of living life rather than an exclusivity for just certain religions to be able to use it as a god either up or down or yeah it's 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 the encapsulation of a way of life uh, it's based in, in Hindu tradition, and yes, it has has influences yeah. of Buddhism throughout, of course. But it's based in in both uh, the sister sciences, Ayurveda. You know, people may have heard that's similarish to traditional Chinese medicine, yeah. but it comes from a, from a Hindu base. Um, and one of the one of the, the real pointers to that is if you look at the more traditional practices, religions, or other spirits, you've got the Dalai Lama, you've got the Pope, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's often a senior person that's the spokesperson. There isn't one in yoga or in, you know, there are certainly very revered teachers, very revered teachers, you know? but there's no one that says that, uh, that, that that person is the representation of yoga, as you might find in other traditions. There isn't a single book like the Bible, for argument's sake, that says this is the way. You've got various texts that all add dimensions in the Bhagavad Gita, you know, the sutras. You know, and, and there are many, many just revered texts that are thousands of years. I mean, let me put that in context. Some of those years before Jesus mm. was born. Right? So this is a very ingrained culture. And we don't, no one, science doesn't know yet how much longer it was being taught before that or shared from teacher to student, right? Orally, you know, from word of mouth. And so it goes. Um, so it's, it's a way of living that in my experience and my understanding, again, this is one lens, right? So make up your own mind. But it excludes no one. You can be a devout Buddhist, a devout Hindu, devout Christian, whatever. And these practices can still be a part of, of your, your existence. There's parts of the teachings of yoga. There's the yamas and niyamas. Right? And these things talk about satya, truth, santosha, contentment. Yeah? Of how to, how to live your life in a way that provides a platform for a deeper understanding. 
And so do you find that those truths are actually, from what I can understand, and I'm like, I'm only like an infant little baby in understanding this, but from what I understand, a lot of these truths that are spoken about in yoga, and I think why maybe it resonates with people in a more gentle way than religion does, is that it's it, there's correlation between the message of what yoga teaches and across most religions, you know, the, if you if you're going from the purity of it, it's to you know find God, serve God, and serve people, serve self, like be of service, be love, be kind. And so, do you think that maybe that's why yoga it could be seen as maybe a softer entrance point for really looking at something broader? Yeah. And I would say absolutely. Um, and the reason that I say that is again, in, in, to the best of my knowledge, the thing that yoga lacks, it doesn't say you will do this or you must do this, or if you don't do this, this will occur, which some other traditions and certainly the one I was raised in said, here's the 10 commandments. If you don't abide by that, then there's a place that you're going to with fire and brimstone, right? And I'm not, I'm not saying that's not true. That, that may, I don't know. I'm still alive. <laughs> I'll, let you, I'll come back and let you know, right? That may quite well be true. And I love and respect people who, who have a devout practice in that area. But yoga, in my opinion, doesn't say if you don't do the meditation practice, if you don't do, right? It just says, here's a platform. Take from it what you want. That serves you and proven path to a life of complete contentment and union, I say the divine, but union with the universe to understand that you are everything. Here is a proven path written by someone. Right? Boom. Mm-hmm. And Patanjali didn't sell that book on Amazon, you know, and make a whole lot of money out of it. He documented it. Well, history says, not sure whether it was a he or a she or there were several people, but, you know, modern tradition says Patanjali wrote it. And so it is. And the thing is that no one owns it. Mm. No one owns yoga. You think there's like a devoid, like I, what I can understand, especially in Abrahamic religion, and again, this isn't a judgment, but there's a lot of human influence and perhaps historically like government and things like that, there was an invested interest in the, the how and the why of it. Um and are you sort of saying that in yoga practice, written by Patanjali, let's say, or the, the, the principles, that there's less human influence in this way of life because it's practice for all rather than just having kind of a bias perhaps in what the political movement of the time is? Well, that's my understanding. Whether that's true, however, that's my, that's my understanding. These are guidebooks. These are stories um, that – Help a level of inquiry. Yeah. It's, and it's open to everyone. Yoga doesn't say you must be a Hindu or you must practice Ayurveda or you must have a tattoo of, of Ganesha on you. You know, it doesn't, it says everyone is welcome. It meets you where you are and will provide a, a an invitation and a platform to meet you exactly there. The mm-hmm. only, the only thing it asks is that you come with a level of authenticity and openness and curiosity. Maybe nothing happens. But yoga, you know, if you go back to the country of India, you know, I'm sure many people who might be listening to this and, and you, etc. if you've ever been to India, it's like going to a whole other planet, right? That, that level of spirituality is so revered and so ingrained that, that a river, right, 
is deemed to be a holy goddess, right? The mother Ganga, right? The Ganges River is revered, right? Revered. People travel thousands of kilometers, walk to it. And these, these Varanasi, these sacred sites are, and temples, temples everywhere, right? So this is a culture that at that point in time was not making more money, not making y- yourself look more important than anyone else. The most important thing that you could do with this human life, this precious human life, was to re-remember who you were, connect with this, and find peace. That's it. Keep it simple. You know, the mind wants to make it complicated. We spend so much of our time making us trying to make ourselves externally look like we're okay, when internally, you know, we're struggling. And this is part of the dilemma. And the, the reason is, is that everyone will have an exception. There's no such thing as absolute. But in the West, we have almost severed that relationship with the sacred. Yeah. yeah? And we've said everything comes from mind or bank account or status or title. And not those things are wrong. You can have those things. You can have a really rich, dynamic, vibrant, abundant life with three cars and six houses and it, that, nothing wrong with that. It's the attachment to that. And it's attachment to that without the inherent reconnection back into the wisdom which is contained in the heart. I'm not saying like your romantic heart, albeit that's part of it, but there is a deeper part of us. There's two parts to us. There's the human part and the means of the same. What we've done though is we've severed this connection to our heart. And the practice of yoga calls you back to your heart, to the sacred, that which you hold most precious. You find this tiny little spark and follow it. Yeah, And then the head and the heart work in unison. And this is where we get into satya, into truth, into contentment, that what I think and what I say and how I act and how I feel and how I'm connected are all together, all aligned. They're not in disharmony with each other. They're what I think and what I do are the same. Yeah. And I think it's so, interesting that you said that because it sort of sparked something in my mind, like because I've sort of studied a few different types, you know, religions, teachings, and all that. And I know in like Buddhist, you know, and in tradition of what you just said, the attachment, suffering comes from attachment. Suffering, and in the Bible, Jesus actually said something very similar too, where he, I can't remember the details, but a guy came to him and said, "Hey, you know, he's a pretty good dude. He lived a good life. You know, he didn't cheat on his wife. Didn't, you know, do anything bad, basically." And Jesus said to him. And he said, I want to follow you, Jesus. You're cool. And Jesus said, cool. Well, give up all your material product like wealth. Give it to the poor and come with me. And the guy said, nah, nah, I can't do that. Can't do that. I can't give up my wealth. And because, and and I see a, a, a correlation between both of those because the problem there was his attachment. And all, all that teaching was saying is if you give away your material wealth and you come with me, you're going to find what you're looking for because you're not holding on to, to this world and everything. And if you can be unattached from everything um, in that way, then like you said, you can still have all these things but don't be attached to them. So if it was all gone tomorrow, it wouldn't matter. You would be okay because you, you know who you are and you have that connection to the heart as well. And is that kind of an accurate depiction of, in a nutshell, what that was? Yeah. Look, it's, it's you know, and dislikes are a prison. They're a prison for us. They bind us into a world that we then try to control, mm-hmm. when in reality we can't control anything. And then if you take a step back as to what you referred to, and yes, uh, I remember that, that teaching. If you look at, you know, the, the traditions that I've studied, Christianity, 
Buddhism, Taoism, Hinduism through yoga, right? And this beautiful school of thinking called non-duality, right? All five, and, and there are many, many others, and I haven't studied others, right? But I kind of, that was kind of about as much I can get through in this lifetime. Um, all bring, all bring themselves to a very similar treatment and the aversions of things that you like and you dislike create a prison, create a boundary for us. When we're able to release those, nothing wrong with having them, but if we lose them, are we okay? Intellectually, we would say no. If I lose my house, intellectually, of course, you go, my goodness, that's, that's a, Tragedy, right? We've got to mobilize and do something about that. But that inner sense of contentment, that inner sense of peace, despite the turmoil that's going on, remains. Yeah. And this is the teachings of all of those great traditions to bring us back into this heart wisdom. So that no matter what's going on, there's a sense of contentment. Yeah, the stuff you've got to deal with. And we use our job. There is suffering in the world, but there is also a place of contentment of just seeing things as they are. Yeah, the Taoists have this beautiful expression. Again, it's a very clumsy English interpretation of it. But stand in the center of the circle and watch all things come and go. Stand in the center of the circle. Stand in the center of your own truth. You own your own being. Yeah, and watch all things come and go. Yeah, and it doesn't that's mean you where we've lost em- our way a little bit in, in terms of Western culture Western because, because we are very much living in a way of how we feel all the time. It's always reactive. It's always, I feel this and everyone should care. Versus, like you just said, if you stand in the circle and you just watch it move and come around you, then how you feel almost becomes irrelevant. Is that, do you think that's a fair thing to say? That's a fair thing to say. Look, it, it is. And where that, where that stems from, in my experience, is this misunderstanding that we are all separate. Mm. Yeah, that I'm separate to you, you're separate to me, I'm separate to that tree. I'm, and I'm the moment that we start a process of separation, we start a process of isolation. Mm. Yeah. And when we isolate, we then start to say, for me to be happy, I must have these things around me. And there are certain things that you need. What do you need? Companionship? You know, friendship? And yet it's said that, you know, the, the person who's able to enter into the deepest relationship is someone who is completely content and at peace with themselves, who can live by themselves, who can live in complete harmony with what is, so that then when those things come, when someone comes into your life, you can love them for exactly who they are. You get a new house, you can love it for exactly as it is. right? But there's this deep inner sense of contentment that allows you to be okay with everything. So this idea that we are separated is one of the fundamental you go with the head, you try to understand this with the head, you go, well, of course, I'm different to you. You're a female, I'm a male, you're in Melbourne, I'm on tank, you know, and you can go, of course, right? At that level, you go, well, this sense of unity doesn't come from the mind. Mind's a useful servant, very useful servant, terrible master. I love that you said that Remember? to me, actually. That's stuck yeah. with me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a terrible, it's a terrible master. But in the West, we give the mind the highest you know, those people who are intelligent or can use their mind and create decisions and create wealth, yeah, are often, you know, often revered. And the mind, that's wonderful. Great, great things with science and technology. Really? How are we? And I mean, what do you think the compass is for that? How do we get back on course? Easy. Easy. You say easy, but how? <laughs> <laughs> Number one, it's a desire, right? Number one, it's like anything. You go, I want to learn the piano. Awesome. Let's practice, you know, 
And people ask me this all the time, like, so what do I do? I go, okay, step one is just be real and honest with yourself. Where am I? And do I really want to investigate an alternate way of being? Do I want to spend time, effort, money, invest my energy? There are tens of thousands or millions of people who've come before me who've written tens of thousands of books on it, lectured on it, spoken on it. Ram Das and Muji and Adi Ashanti live in it, as do tens of thousands of others. Realized beings living in our world with a sense of peace and contentment, they're the examples for us. So it is possible, and it is possible in this lifetime, if we just give it a little momentum. Adi Ashanti uses the theme of the rocket ship, right? You're on the ground, you're a human, and that first little lift-off is shaky, right? And it starts to shake, and sometimes it falls back to the ground. But eventually you get into this gravitational pull. Yeah? Seek is seeking you. What you seek is seeking you. You get that gravitational pull, and it becomes effortless. And you don't have to change your life. That's what people say to me. It's like, I haven't got time. You're sitting around and meditating. and re- Don't change it. Keep your job, your family, your career, your house. Keep all that. But devote a little of your time each day to the contemplation of is there something bigger than just this life? Yeah? And it's that simple. So desire, then find a, a, a guide, a teacher, a, a, a mentor, and that can be you know, online, who will, who's walked that path. But the reality is, we're not creating anything here. All we're doing is re-remembering that which we already are. This is the beauty of it. You're not studying for a university degree to get an achievement. You're simply turning the lens inside, Pratyahara, that's another yogic term that says, stop looking outside for it, begin to look inside for it and see what you find. This idea of an inward journey, is so extraordinarily rich that it makes the outward journey of career, etc., seem pale by comparison. Not unimportant. You think that this is a lot of, like, for a lot of people, the fear of going inward and what they'll find, especially as they age, I think as you get older, you start to pile up crap. (laughs) So there's this this sense of if I look in and I, what am I going to see? And if I see it, then I have to face it, deal with it. I think from my encounters with a lot of people that there's been that that's one of the first things they'll they'll say is that I'm not say it with those words, but there's a fear that the pain and the emotion that comes with whatever is in there is going to be too great. And what I found is for me personally that once you face that. You must face like if you face what you're fearing, then you're free of it. Then you're free. And but I think a lot of people you've got to go through the pain of that first. You've got to experience that the, the emotional body, in a sense. So do you think there's like a fear for people to go inward and see that? There's two things. Um, this is such a good conversation. Um, there's two two things, right? One is the fear, right? What am I going to find? What 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 am I going to face? Right. But the second thing is the knowledge. How do I go? But you know, you hear people say, "Look inside, right? Find yourself." Or, <laughs> 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 and when will I know when I find it? What does it look and smell like and taste like? Right? <laughs> so this is where you know some of you know, some just extraordinary teachers around who, who can share that sort of stuff with you. Ram Das, my God, I love him. I love I that Ram man. Das. He's gone, but I just love him. He talks a lot about this, right, about the false sense of ego. This false sense of identity is the biggest barrier between us and this sense of contentment, yeah? We create 
this image, this little mini-me in, <laughs> in our head of who we think we are. Yeah? But that is a construct. It doesn't actually exist. You can go into five different settings with five different groups of people and be five different people there, five different personalities that shows up as a result of the people in the room or the environment. Because most of us are, are looking for a way, one, to be validated, and two, to be loved. You go, Mark, come in. Come in, mate. You're okay. I like you. Right? You're, you're a good bloke because I show up in a certain way. You know? mm. So validation. If anyone's listening, please take the step. Try it. Try it for three months. Like, give it a good shot. And the richness that I found in here, you know, and like, like a lot of people, I spent the first, you know, half of my life chasing the idea. My bank account was very healthy. I had a lot of assets. I had a great job, but I wasn't happy. I looked around myself and sit, you know, come home from work and grab a bottle of whiskey and go and sit in the, the back deck and, and have a cigar and, and drink because I needed to, I needed to rest my ego. I was exhausted of trying to pretend. And this is often the definition of, of discontentment is when we're not listening to the calling of our heart. Externally, our life might look good, you know, and life could be good. But if we're not listening to the wisdom of our heart, then there's, a, there's always going to be a sense of something's missing, a sense of discontentment. And again, this is not some magical or some mystery or, you know, some deep, you know, spiritual teachings where you go, go, try to go hide in a cave and do it. You can, right? you know, like they're amazing. But you can do it from your own home yeah. with some really simple practices, losing my sense of identity. Who will I be if I let go of who I think I am? Yeah. I don't know. How do we even go about it? I don't even know what it looked like when I find it. And all I can say to you there is, you'll know. <laughs> when it finds you, <laughs> when it lands, and it, and it can land for anyone. Yeah, it landed for me carrying some wood up a hill. I was doing a little self-retreat um, uh, up in the Don Valley in, in just outside Melbourne, a little self-retreat, and I'd gone and chopped some wood. And literally I was walking up carrying some wood, covered in dirt and mud, I wasn't, mm, you know, doing what, yes, I'd done some of that throughout the day. And this, it's like the fog had lifted, yeah? It's like life had gone from black and white to color, yeah? And it doesn't mean that all of a sudden, ah, uh, get everything. It came and it went, it came and it went, it came and it went. Now it's here more often, it still goes again. I still fall over and, you know, do all the human stuff. But the fear of losing an identity of who we think we are, yeah, that, that's a big one for a lot of people. And I think I, from an experience, my own experience in life, you know, I, I spent the first, like, probably maybe my life was a little bit more fast track. I don't know. But until I was about 30, I felt like, you know, there was this, this build up of who I thought I was and what I wanted the world to see me as. Built on an experience, like all my experiences and all that stuff. And then. I had, you know, the devastation of losing a child and the trauma and the grief. Like that is not a normal type of grief to go through. And that broke me down to a level where I felt like, you know, you drop a vase and it just shatters into these, all these pieces. And you're just like in the, where are these pieces? And kind of what you said, and then I lost also had to close my company and then a whole myriad of other things. And every single one of those things sucked. 
but it was also a way of me really breaking my ego right down, back down to that, who am I? And who, 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 who am I called to be? And where do I want to be in life? And rediscovering, like what you said, almost like what you've already known, but the world tells you that you should want something different. And realizing that I had to really reevaluate every part of my, who I am, both internally and externally. And that's like, that is that, I mean, for some people, like you said, it can be like that and it's easy. But for me, it was, a, it was almost like the whole process was a grief process. You've got to let this go, let this go, let this go. And then you're just like, who am I? What am I doing? Yeah. And you can't keep grasping for things in the world. You, it, 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 you'll just keep falling short. You can't reach for other people. Like, I don't think that you can find that in other people. I don't think that you find it in addiction. I don't think that you find it in anything other than yourself. And that's really hard when you've lived your whole life externally because then you've suddenly gone, I'm not that projection. And I remember I went on a retreat after I'd lost my son and it was actually really refreshing because I got to go and be with I went on my own. I didn't know anybody there. And the thing that I felt there was I can be whoever I want to be because they don't know me and I can actually just be. There's no need for me to project it and something. I don't have to take care of anyone. This is just me being me. And so I think that there is sometimes a short-term pain or it can be really condensed like it was for me. Um, <laughs> so some people it's like a process and some people it's like that. Um, and I think that's what I was sort of saying in that it is so hard to unravel who you are. And if you've been thrown and shattered on the floor, then you have no choice. You have to do it. But when it's a choice, I think sometimes it can be a little bit less painful because it's a choice. You can choose to start making those movements versus just being dropped on the floor. It's a choice. Um, so would you agree with that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. First of all, thank you for sharing that son. A really powerful story and an and a essence behind it that you had the wisdom and the strength and the support. You have people who love you, I'm sure, to you know start to piece back your life together. And you know, you you made a decision to go. I'm going to piece it back in a different way and see what see what that looks like. Yeah. So these these callings to this kind of other things often come kind of one of three ways. You just have this deep inherent calling that just calls you a bit like I had. Right? I haven't had any trauma lose, you know, you lose a, a child, like deep, deep, significant things, right? Um, it can just be an accumulation of things where you just go, I've had enough of this life. <laughs> I've had enough of it, right? This is it. There's got to there's gotta be something else, right? And and look for it. And, and as you said, sometimes people look for it in addictions. And yoga can be an addiction, right? As a teacher, you see people come into your class every day and they've been to a morning class and they're back at the night class, right? So yoga can, anything can become an addiction as a distraction from us trying to re-piece our lives back together again, hear it through whatever means. So but this is the beauty of yoga is that it is a physical practice. You can do it. And there's various levels of physical practice. You want an intellectual practice. You want to be of service to the world. You know? there's, there's all different paths that you can come into it, but they all lead to the same place as, as you found is this, Go well, you know. How do I create a life that has contentment in it? The crux of what I think the conversation really is like it's interesting because there are people, especially in Abrahamic religions, that come to me, and they're very 
nervous that they're almost disrespecting their their god or their religion that they're almost coming to yoga and i i find that really interesting how do you remedy that like you said you i I, look what i i say is it's the intentionality that you bring with you and you don't want to meditate and you want to pray for example then you can do that and that's kind of the inclusivity that you're talking about in yoga and it doesn't have to necessarily be rooted in all the traditional teachings. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, and again, different practitioners of yoga will have different teachers, will have a different lens on this. I love to chant, right? I'll often open my class with a chant of Om. For me, that's uh, two things. One, it's a sign of respect in the best way that I can do to the lineage, to the history, to, to those that went before that have gifted us this extraordinary pathway to resilience and contentment and to clarity. But I, I also like it's a, to me, it's a marker. It's like you ring the bell for lunch, right? <laughs> it's like, ah, it's that boom. Okay. And now, you know, Sutra 1.1 and now the journey of yoga. Yeah. So this bringing of all this together of different, let's call them traditions or religions or practices. Yoga doesn't any of them. You know, if you have got it, you're deeply rooted in, in Judaism, for what I can say. It doesn't say you must give up or it simply says, here's a path that might add into what you already believe, yeah? Or invite you to view it from a different lens, not change anything, not let go of anything, not yeah, and in my you know, in my experience, it's not asking it's not being disrespectful to your own historical tradition of your family, of you, of whatever you feel called to to follow. You know, every tradition that you know, you alluded earlier on, yes, some humans have got in the road a few times and, you know, misinterpreted perhaps some of the teachings, but so is yoga. <laughs> you know, yoga's, <laughs> yoga's not holier than now, trust me. There's been, you know, you look oh, back yes. through through the courts and there's been some behaviours of, of some practitioners of yoga who, you know, are very, very questionable. Yoga's not exempt, you know, but where humans are involved, where the mind is involved, you know, it has the ability to go astray. But at the heart of it you know, and at the heart of every person, it's the same with dealing with people, right? You look at, you can either look at the behaviors and judge that behavior. Like you look at yoga or posture, you go, oh, I'm going to judge. What's the essence of it? And whether you can do a handstand or whether you can sit for an hour in meditation or really, that's not the point. They're nice practices, you know? I never mastered a, <laughs> a handstand in my whole life, right? Well, then you're Initially, not a real yogi now. <laughs> correct. You know, and that was really my first foray into it to say, if I couldn't be, you know, a really advanced physical practitioner of yoga in advanced postures. Then, I, and I couldn't quote the detailed sutras and, and gitas and the other, you know, other great texts. Then I was a charlatan, hmm. and I it, it, it took me a long time to feel authentic and to picantism dropped in was when I went back to my intention. What what am I attempting to do here? What am I attempting to do here? We had a couple of questions from some of your students, Mark, that were like, hit them up with this. We want to know. So one of the questions was from Christina, and she said, this is an increasing disengagement. There is an increasing disengagement of Western society towards structured religion, perhaps feeling it is too dogmatic, rigid, and punitive. Conversely, the practice of yoga is expanding significantly worldwide, which I can actually, I checked the stats on this. Um, the obvious question, 
Also yoga, a replacement of religious spiritual practices. Question without notice. Um, yeah, I know Christina got us on this one, and I was like, "Oh, you know what? You can handle it. I'll do it." Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'll start by answering this. Yeah? If we look at the, at how society is today, globally, you know. We're doing, as humans, we're doing some amazing things, but we're also doing some things that's not so great. Look at how we're treating each other, the amount of, amount of wars and you know, judgment and, and criticism that's going on in among, and has gone on for hundreds if not thousands of years in different ways. Yeah. So something in that equation, the way we've set it up as human beings, something's not right there. All the spiritual traditions would say, and I'm trying to answer it in a, global way don't come back in is that inside all of us is this sense of loving kindness and compassion this sense of deep inner connectivity to all things or plants or animals or people and if like that then there wouldn't be the destruction of the planet there wouldn't be the harming of the animals there wouldn't be wars right, as we know it there wouldn't be greed and persecution and torture there'd be a harmonious culture and there are some cultures who have lived previously throughout the world that have lived like that. So if what we're doing is not working and there is a pathway to consider of an alternate way of being, then why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we look at that? And again, yoga is not a replacement for any other religious person. <laughs> um, devout practitioners, revered traditions and teachers, has all the hallmarks of that. But where it where the, where the difference lies is that often people who are called into yoga do it because they love it, yeah? as opposed to you will follow this religious practice because someone said it's good for you and this is a way to connect to God. And that has a lot of validity in it. But my goodness, surely it's time as humanity, if not now, then when, to stop and look at what we're doing to each other, what we're doing to ourselves, the amount of mental anguish and tr- some. We're not doing a great job as, uh, globally. Yeah, and yoga says, as does Taoism and Buddhism and non-duality and you know the essence of Christianity, all say no. Love it. Love one another. Right? Jesus said, simple as that. Love one another. But to do that, to do that, and this is again, you would have heard this a million times. To be able to truly love another, how we are limited in our ability to love another being by the ability to love ourselves. It's direct replication. We're unable to love all of you know, body, all of it, all of the lumps and bumps. We're not able to love it, then we're not able to love holistically and completely another being. And this is what the teaching saying. This is what yoga says. Then you go, okay, if I follow yoga and I want to go back and still be a Christian, if you go back into the Christian, into your Christianity or your studies or your belief systems there, with your heart now, through the practice of yoga, completely open, that's all it says, union with the divine, go back into that religion or studies with your heart completely open. What does it look like? My chosen religion now, but I've got my completely, my heart's completely open. Now you can get to your heart completely open through those religions too. Of course you can. But yoga says, here's a proven, documented path that will reconnect you back to this now. Mind and heart in balance. Ah, yin yang, Taoism, the Tao, right in the center. There is still going to be dark. There's still going to be light. There's still going to be tears. There's still going to be laughter. 
but you're in the center of the circle and you're watching all things come and go with resilience and compassion and kindness and clarity. Okay, net from that lens. Yeah. Yeah? And see what the teachings of Jesus actually say. Yeah, you're right, actually, because it's a perspective, isn't it? So if your perspective comes from a place of fear, anger, frustration, you're going to – and I think this may be the catalyst for a lot of misinterpretation because it's from a place where there's no heart. It's all just here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that you hit the nail on the head with that answer. Thank you, Christina. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You're done? Okay, I hope Christina's watching. Did you agree? <laughs> um, okay, I've also got some questions from Lisa. So Lisa said, does the space that yoga creates between our body, mind, and spirit have a similar focus as of religious practice? <laughs> At the pu- Again, my understanding, right? So everyone go and check it out for yourself. But at the pure heart of the traditions that I've studied, those five major religious spiritual traditions, at the heart of them, they are all exactly the same. You think it's just the disagreement of what happens after you die that seems to be the problem? And my focus is always maybe we should stop worrying about what happens after we die and worry about how to live. Look, that's one of the great one of the great teachings of again of, of many traditions, but of yoga. Mm. What is death? You know, you go to Varanasi in India and you look <laughs> at the way that death is treated there, it's a celebration. Yes, there's some sadness, of course, and you've lost your mother, father, child, but you know, there's sadness there. But there's this celebration that that being is entering a completely different realm. So once we become able to become completely at peace with death and what death actually is, then we're able to, you know, be fully present in, in life. So, yes, have conversations about it, right? Get it on the on the front and understand it, because you, you look back. How many friends you make with that conversation, Mark? <laughs> you bring that up in polite conversation, you can see the people run away yeah. from the table. <laughs> but what a different life we would live, because the reality is, no one, no one is going to survive. At some point, we're all going to pass. Either you are going to pass before me or I'm going to pass before you. There's no one in the countless numbers of beings that have ever lived that have ever lived forever. So it's going to happen. Find a way to come to peace and a different light in the way that you live your life. When there's no fear of death, mm. life takes a different sense of vibrancy. Not sadness, of course. Someone you love dies, of course there's sadness. But there's no fear of it. I think that's, yeah, fear and attachment. That's, um, they're the two big ones, right? Yeah. Go, yeah. yeah. So yeah. In, in saying that, you let go of your fear, but you also let go of your attachment to life. That's in yeah. my head, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's it's no attachments right, and yeah. no aversions. You know, the great way is not difficult you know, for those that have no attachments. Mm-hmm. Know, that's the, one of the great teachings of, of Zen. And that's not easy to do. And intellectually, of course, I'm attached to my car or my family or, you know, but there's there's something deeper behind that again. And if we stay in the intellectual part, the mind, Ram Das has this beautiful saying, right? It says, beyond all polarities, so the left, right, yes, no, good, bad, life, death, beyond all polarities, beyond all polarities, a deeper sense of, of a sense of, of who am I beyond this form, beyond any, because mind operates in polarities. Right? Yes, no, good, bad, love, hate. And they are useful to help us guide and make decisions as we go along through life. But there's a deeper, deeper, much deeper core, you know, mm. much deeper wisdom that can be had that is beyond mind. And uh, go 
do it. <laughs> explore it. Explore it. It's worth it. Trust me, it's worth it. Yeah. All right. Well, Lisa's got more questions. Can the practice of yoga create a space within us so our own God can see? <laughs> I love that. Can yoga create a space within us so that our own our own God can sing? Did I interpret that correctly? Yep, that's what she said. Yeah. Oh, Lisa, that's a beautiful description. Yes, yes, absolutely. It it can sing and dance and be present with you. You know, and walk with you, dance with you, eat with you. Absolutely, I would say one hundred percent that is is possible. And without Anything missing with a complete sense of joy. People might think you're a little crazy to walk down the street talking about in the shower, but yeah, oh, completely. What a beautiful question. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it was a good yeah. one. And she's got one more for you. Um, she was on a mission yesterday when she said, if you had to choose one practice from any style of yoga or religious practice, belief that brings instantaneously closer to say bliss, what is it for you, Mark? Cultivate. A relationship with stillness. Cultivate a relationship with stillness. Now that can be many, many different ways. But the cultivation of a relationship with stillness, beyond the thinking mind, just sit, the practice of sit, be still, and listen, watch, observe, that thoughts are no more than sounds. Life comes and goes, the sun rises, the sun sets. Cultivate a relationship with stillness. And that stillness, has wisdom, and that wisdom will guide you beyond any words that I or any other teacher, with respect, could can give you. Say, as far as I understand, that will even come close to the wisdom that sits in stillness waiting for you. And it'll get messy, and it'll get joyful, and you'll be crazy for a while, and you'll fall over and fight it. Stay with it. Stay with the stillness. Yogic speak, the stillness is, is the Shiva, is the universal, it's everything. Yeah, and then the noise, the clutter, the doing is the Shakti, is the energy transmuting. But behind all of that is this vast, it just is. We cultivate a relationship with the isness, nothing's ever the same thing. And is that that's sort of that's in line with taking away labels, like you don't necessarily need to call it this or that, it just is. Just is, yeah. And you can cultivate that relationship. You've heard me. If you come to my classes or teachings, you've heard this. One of my earlier teachers said, "Have a cup of tea with your heart three times a week. Just go out in the backyard, take a cup of tea. No phone, no book, no, no notes, no distractions. Turn your phone off. Yeah. Just sit, look his life, and how fortunate we are to simply be here. And then all that clutter, all that." climbing of the corporate ladder, the social profile, the having to be this, the having to have that, the right lipstick, the right shoes, the right job, just falls back into perspective. Mm-hmm. And life becomes simple and rich and present. Mm-hmm. I think that's really, it's, it's really like, it's so true because I know when we did the retreat earlier this year, I came to your retreat. And it was the first time that I'd sort of been in a space. I'm not going to lie, it was intense. <laughs> there was definitely some intensity. The teachings and everything that I'd felt very alone in pondering. Um, on the very first day, you got out the whiteboard and you went, boop, 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 boop. And I went, 
oh my God, <laughs> everything that I was thinking, you just took out of my head and put it into writing. And from there, it was, it was actually a relief to think there are, there are other individuals on this earth that are asking the same questions and thinking about this stuff, feeling this stuff. And, and, and I think that's part of that's part maybe of what yoga is as well, is, is there's well. a collective there's space for people. And I think there are always going to be people who bring, you know, intentions that maybe aren't completely to you're into a space. But I think generally if you've got the right leadership and the right guidance, there is very much a safety in saying it's okay to sit in your stuff, be quiet, turn inward and listen to what comes through because like even you know in a lot of religious teachings they and buddhism and everything they say when you're quiet you can hear and it's true because you're finally able to push the clutter away and in that stillness comes the message comes the answer from but yeah that that's the essence isn't it of that but you need i feel like there needs to be trust in the, the, the guidance and the teacher because like you said there is in any space when you add human and people humanity will dilute things with their own if they're not pure of intention and heart will dilute it with their own stuff um, and that's when things go wrong. And that is why a lot of beautiful teachings become vilified, I think, because it's like, well, you know, they're bad. No, a tiny little yeah. fraction of tiny little fraction. People, people made it bad, made not necessarily, not necessarily the whole teaching. The whole teaching. Um, um, and I think I wanted to bring this stat up with you because I, I just was like, awesome, let's have a look at this. And what I actually found, so I did a looked at the census and – 39, just under, I'll say 39% of Australia's population said they do not have any religious or spiritual affiliation, which I found really interesting um, that nearly half the country is saying we don't want to subscribe to anything. But statistics from last year, 2022, says that Australians, so 1.5 million Australians did yoga, and spent six hundred sixty-one thousand dollars on doing yoga practice and going to classes. So I'm looking at I'm looking at those statistics, going, what can what can, like what can we take from those numbers, and what does that really tell us about what's going on here? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What's going interesting. On. Um, what 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 comes to me is that our society is is. Um, is often based upon quick gratification, quick results. Yeah. Right, looking for that silver bullet. If I go and do yoga, when I go and get my gear, and I go to class and roll out my mat, and I do my sixty minutes of you know of asana practice and a bit of breath work and maybe a bit of philosophy, and I walk out the door and I'm still the same person that I was. Right, then what have I done? I've done some exercise. So yoga is th- what it what it instills is is a life outside off the mat. Yeah. Mm. So that's if we if we are thinking that yoga will that suddenly I'll go in to do a yoga class right and I'm going to get this great realization that might happen, but it's a, it's more likely a, a slow process. And why are people you know thirty thirty almost forty percent yeah percent forty percent of forty percent? I actually find it that like, much higher than what I would have guessed. Yeah. yeah, and you know that again, everyone will have their own reasons. So. Uh, However, 
that's indicative to me of the cultural and societal engineering that we have been raised in, mm. where spirituality in, in its entirety is often called woo-woo. Yeah, it's the it's the place of the golden goddesses and the incense and the chanting and you know it's it has it has sometimes been ridiculed. Yeah, because the society that we have been raised in in the main, not exploit successful, mate. You need to have A, B, C, and D. Right? A house, a car, a good job, athletic body, you know, good media profile. We're devoid of that part of us that brings the richness to this existence. If this life is only about the pursuit of desires, and that's what we have been taught, right? Education systems. I was a present teacher for a while, so I got a little small insight into the education system. But if our whole society is about the pursuit of desires, it is empty. Another desire and that will make. And we go running after the carrot of desires, only to find that it doesn't fulfill us, and then only to find that our life is over. And what have we done with this one precious life? We are not devoid of spirituality or consciousness. It exists in all of us. We simply need to stop and re-remember. Yeah. And often, and I said this at the start, often it's it, and it was for me, you know, in that corporate journey, is where do I go? Who, who's a who's a valid teacher, a book, an audio? Like, where do I start in this journey? Paths that you can pursue in this. Thousands. Where do I start? Yeah. yeah, and that that's actually the scariest question for some people, and that's why yeah. I was saying, is yoga perhaps a soft entry point for a lot of people? Because I've got people from all different religious beliefs, backgrounds. I've got atheists, I've got Hindus, I've got Christians, I've got Catholics. No, not so much Islam, but that's another story. And they all come there, and, and I say to them, you know, you get to decide what you believe, and I think that's what you know it brings people together. To, to figure out what, because a lot of people don't think about it. They just don't, or it's just straight up not for me. And so, yeah, you're right. It's devoid. So people are looking for something, aren't they? They're like, there's, yeah. there's something. I need something. I just don't know what it is. And who do I ask? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like we're all riding around, right? Just imagine this. This is the best analogy I've come up with so far, right? Or not everyone, but. Most of our society are all riding bicycles, push bikes, right, with one tire flat, mm-hmm. right? And it's hard. We're getting there, right? But, but we're trying to ride up the hill of life, you know, but, but we're looking around us and everyone else has got a flat tire. So that's normal, right? It's normal that my tire's flat, isn't it? Right? And every so often you see someone with two tires pump. If we just stop, turned inside, pumped our emotional heart, our, our, our spiritual wisdom, not woo woo. It's not. For the, you know, people who want to go and sit on a mountain and twist themselves inside out. Yeah, it is. But it's for everyone. If we just remember who we are, if yeah. we just take the time to do a little work here, as much work as we might do decorating our home, get back in here and redecorate this. Mm-hmm. The love and compassion that that can bring to your life will completely change it. Yeah. And yes, therefore yoga, because it has no doctrine to it, it doesn't try. Like it, don't like it. That's okay. Come back next lifetime. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very, it's a, a very accessible way of being, and you can then again choose what suits you. You might just choose the asana all of your life. Amazing physical, mental, emotional well-being. But there are other layers to it that can provide a different lens. So it's not woo-woo. It's not some hippie fad. 
this has been going on for 7,000 years or more, you know, more. So there might be something in that. (laughs) I think it needs to be treated with the respect that it deserves. And, like, you're right, whatever you go there for, it's it still deserves some sort of place, I think, with respect. And it's not just some, yeah, like, we go and we sweep some sage around and, you know, which is what some people have in their head. And um, I think what I'd love to close with is just what you can take, like, say you and I are walking down the street, take from what we take from our yoga or whatever we need and what we give back to people from that. And for me, I think, like, generosity with words, like our words matter, like we speak things in and out of existence with our words. And I think you can see the power of words with people, whether it's, you know, like I saw a lady yesterday and she had a pram and she was running around the park and I was like, when she's running around the park, that's off to you. That is awesome. And I just clapped for her. She ran past and I said, you are doing such a good job. Well done. And she's like, oh, I'm so slow. And I was like, oh, you're running faster than people on the couch. So well done, you know. And, and I think for me what I'm trying to bring in from a lot of these practices is just being more considerate with my words and thinking about them because it's very easy to go, where is that, where is where are my words coming from? Is it coming from a place where I might be feeling terrible with myself today? You know, I'm hormonal, I'm raging, and I just I hate everyone, so I'm going to make sure everyone knows I hate them. Or can I just come back to my centre and remember that it's it's a feeling and it's temporary. And I shouldn't be bringing more yes. of that into the world. Yeah. Beautiful. You know, um, and my advice would be start with the small things. Yeah? So on this journey, don't pick the biggest, ugliest part of life. Start with the small things. Just do the practice, yeah? And uh, in closing, what, what I the, the best advice I, I've heard in a long time is is what, um, Nin Karoli Baba passed on to Ram Das as a way of, of living life. Love, serve, remember. Love, serve, remember. Love, right? That's an audacious goal. But my goodness, imagine a world where we could do that. Is it possible? Yes, it is possible. Right? Love yourself, love everyone. Love, serve. Be of service to the world. Right? Be kind. Be generous. Be of service to, to the earth, to the planet, to people. Serve people. Mm-hmm. Love, serve, remember. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember that you are a spiritual being and a human being in this diverse miracle that we call life. Be grateful. Be present. Love, serve, remember. One of the greatest teachers, yes. And be simple. Find find the center. Find the, the, the still point inside. And then find that little spark in that still point. And there's a little spark in all of us, yeah? Come back. Find that. Just let that spark grow and grow and grow and grow. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. It's a journey. Everyone's got a story. Everyone's hit their hit their toe against the wall at some point, <laughs> some quite severely. Mm-hmm. And be kind. You know, you don't know what's going on for other people. And then the practice, finally, the practice of being able to pass the behaviors, to see you on this screen. You know, I can see you and your questions, right, which are amazing, but I can also see you, the authentic, real, beautiful, kind, compassionate, wise you, that sits here, that's the words that are coming out of your mouth are, are almost superfluous, almost from that. You know, when we're able to sit in that space and see the beauty in the in the being, that's it. We're home. 
You've absolutely, yeah. You took a little bit of what I said and then made it better. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Just through the diversity of what you know and your knowledge as well, like you're taking so much collective wisdom and knowledge and bringing it into a much more comprehensive way of telling people about it. Yeah, thank you. It's it's an honor, you know, and in all honesty, I feel like I know just, you know, like, yeah, grain of sand on a beach type stuff, right? But my goodness, it's 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 the richest part. And I've done some wonderful things in my life, traveled some amazing places, met extraordinary people. But this practice of being simply at peace, right, is the most rich practice I've ever had in, in my life. Um, I'm so grateful to have landed where it's landed. Despite all the bumps, like the older Marcus Aurelius, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. You're right. I mean, I can only just say I'm a testament. Like, you live it and breathe it every day. The retreat that I went on was just four days, but the resonance of that, the vibration that you brought and you helped create, and I'm saying all the people there collectively did too, but it it actually stuck with me for months afterwards. And you're right. Like there was this feeling of just this peace that I hadn't had in a really, really long time. And you know, after five years of just being broken down continuously, there was this just this sense of like, right, that you can feel it, like lift. And I came home and it gave me some great advice as well while we were there. And it was just like, it was you can't change anything around you, but you can change you. And when you change you, everything around you starts to change anyway. And it's feeding your, off your vibration. And yeah, that advice was really amazing. And I, I felt it for months. And I mean, the real world creeps back in. So, you know, you do start, but it's cultivation, right? So you plant, you, you reap what you sow. So you put it in eventually, it's going to start to grow out and you're going to feel the benefits. It's not straight away. And I'm so happy for you. <laughs> yeah, so, it was great. <laughs> so happy for you, right? And I've seen that and dive into a conversation. Oh, I wouldn't like have been brave enough, Mark. See, like before this, I would have been like, "Oh no, I can't. I can't talk yeah. to you about this. I don't know." <laughs> so, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dearie me! It's um, this is the joy of it, right? As as a, I I, I, call, I call myself a teacher very loosely. Like I don't even know what that means, right? But a sharer of, of this, right? To see others begin to go, ah, ah, and do this. And I've got no control over that. And actually, I don't want any control over that. But to see it and witness it from afar, ah. And, and that's the thing. You, you put that light out there and it, it feeds. Like, and that's, that's what I think the that's essence true. of some of what you said is that's that. You, if you're centered, you can feed that. Other people will go, I want some of that. I, and when you're, when you're feeding the world, like you said, it's absolutely possible for us to all see beyond the behavior and love each other. That's actually kind of the foundation, isn't it? Like you show people what's possible by your own example and your own authenticity so that others can see that it is possible because you're doing it and not just say, you've got to do this. You've got to do that because. I want that. And that. Yeah, and that's that's where beautiful that you, you've articulated that. That's where the, some of the greatest teachings come from. Not sitting and just live your life, and just by you being you, authentic, real, showing up for exactly as you are, with all the perceived lumps and bumps, but in reality, this beautiful divine presence, perfect in every way, exactly as you are, living that light, living it. That's not some of the greatest teachings that you'll ever find. Yeah. And people feel that. I feel the vibration. We're all energy. People feel that. And 
life begins to change, one you know little flower in a heart at a time, and boom, before you know it, you know we've got a whole field of of sunflowers, you know. And that's what the world needs. Like you said, that like, we've lost our direction. We're off course. And that, like you said, being the compass, that brings us the light, you know, that brings us back to the light. And it, it just takes people yeah. saying, it, yeah. it just takes people saying, it yeah. You can't, it yeah, you can't change anybody else. You can only begin the journey to remember who you are. And then the rest takes care of itself. Yeah. You come home to you. Yeah. Come home to you. So uh, can I tell you, I, I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much for, you know, for the opportunity to sit and chat with someone that I love and respect and like to share this, this expression with people like you. That's what it's all about. Right? So thank you for the conversations and the blossoming in your own communities. And, you know, little by little, it all just starts to ripple out and ripple out and ripple out. And, you know, it's a place of contemplation. And we'll see how we go. No, and thank you very much, Mark. And I, I think I, I think you dropped out, but. When is your next retreat? Because I got so much value from them that I think that people listening might be going, who is this guy? What is he doing? Why does she like him so much? So <laughs> maybe you could just give us a little little spill on this. It was like sitting on a couch. Treats are the greatest place to pause without the interruptions to contemplate, yeah, and to rest and to nurture. This is part of it. Our nervous system for a lot of us is, is shot. When we can relax and rest the nervous system, we co-regulate, uh, and so it begins, and then deeper breaths, and then we get into the stillness, and then, ah. So uh, retreats are amazing. So our next one is coming up. Uh, if you, you go to our website, it's called uh, Living Oneness Foundation. Um, if you can see that, but Living Oneness Foundation, uh, or just reach out to you or me direct. So. Uh, my surname is Feely, P-H-W-L-Y, you'll see me on socials. Mark, there uh, in a month's time uh, in the Grampians. It's a three-day, three two-night retreat. And then I'm planning a big one in March. We're going to Sri Lanka for nine nights, and we're going to go deep into consciousness. So this discussion expanded cultural, so we'll learn how to cook, and we'll go to temples, and we'll talk to you know Ayurvedic doctors and all sorts of really juicy things. Uh, but we'll get deep and deep and deep and deep into the essence of who you are, deep consciousness. That is in Sri Lanka in March. That will, that will be a river. Yeah. So, um, so, and then we've got, if there's any men listening, and part of the energy that I feel called to come in and share and, and share with men in particular, yeah. Um, we've got a men's retreat coming up in the Grampians, um, in Oct- early October, um, two night retreat, accessible, um, yoga, meditation, mindfulness, these sort of raw, real, honest discussions and what does it mean to be a man in today's world and how do we re-establish ourselves in a place of courage but loving kindness? How do we open our hearts, stand our ground, but still bring that beautiful, powerful masculine energy without the toxicity, without the judgment, without the ego, but be present and, and create a world with such strength and clarity and kindness. And so if you feel called to that discussion, uh, myself and Aaron Shorts, who runs Outback, the Outback Mine in Queensland, so men's um, mental wellness group, is to is to really understand uh, what it is to be a man in today's world. So, That's an important discussion. That is a very. I I actually saw you run one the other day, and I wanted to join, and I was like, <laughs> 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 although in today's society, you know, <laughs> I might be, yeah. but well, you know, and it was, and we, and we, and we did debate that. We went, well, having a men, so are we? Are we excluding the women but it's kind of like there are there are issues that men are facing particularly men's traditional approaches are struggling to keep up with 
So if we can bring a different lens by discussion about what is spirituality, what is meditation, can it bring a different lens to who you think you are and provide a platform that is kind and give you some wisdom and some stillness to stand in the center of the circle, that path that we're heading down with, with men's mental wellness and suicide rates might just look different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's our intention is to share as best we can in that, that forum. Yeah. That would be amazing. And I think it's great that you're championing that because it's sort of like white, white men have become the enemy. <laughs> so it's great that, and I mean, I'm being colloquial there, but it's true. Yeah. And, yeah, I think that it's an important space that men now are going, well, do I hold the door open for a woman? What is, what is a man? Am I allowed to, to, am I even allowed to do this? Am I going to get, you know, in trouble? So I think it's, yeah, hats off to you. I think it's a really important space and men need support. Like women have, like they have spaces to go, men need that too. So yeah, well done really for that. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We, we feel very, uh, very excited and very honored um, to be starting to work into that space. And again, you know, it's as simple as, as having honest, real, raw conversations no, to go if you want. You don't want, that's okay too. But what if? What if, you know, as in the words of John Lennon, imagine. All right, Mark, we better wrap up because we've kept everybody <laughs> thoroughly occupied for a good hour thank you. and two hours. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I look, so much to, to everyone who's joined for five minutes or the whole thing. Thank you so much for just sitting in with us. I'd love this conversation. I feel like we could just continue on. Oh, this could go all day. Yeah. That's why I'm like, we better yeah. not go forever. <laughs> it's, yeah, 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 it's yeah. Amazing. I so, um, so thank you so much for facilitating and the invitation. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yes, and thank you, Mark. I really appreciate you giving your time and wisdom and energy to this space as well. It's amazing. All right. See you guys. Thank you all for joining. Uh, I've got to figure out how to end this. There is. Okay. I don't think that you can hear me. <laughs> Hello. Hey, I just want to know. Uh, for some reason, Zoom dropped out. Yes. Um, on my end, I'm just trying to log back in. Um, oh, is that why I can't? I'm trying to. I'm waving at you, and I can. I can still see you. Yeah, so I'll just go back and pop in the meeting ID again. I don't know why. It's five eight six oh eight seven four and three. <laughs>